Church. I would like to begin our time by reading from a section of scripture from 1 Corinthians 13. And this is from a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. And you may be familiar with it, but I want to read it to start our time as uh, laying a foundation and a baseline for the conversation we're having today. So I invite you to just follow along as I read it aloud. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And I want to invite all of you to read this aloud with me. Bettendorf, Kiwani men, jump in. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. I want to welcome all of you across the network. The men I just acknowledged, the Kiwani, the Bentendorf family, those of you tuning in online, and all of you here at Rock Island. This is uh, week four of our Building Blocks series, and if you've been to any of the previous three weeks, you know that this is a conversation about making the most of life. That with the right building blocks, we can be who God wants us to be and, and get where he wants us to go. Understanding we all start somewhere, we just need to know how to build and move with those building blocks to actually get there. And, and we've been taking time to understand the individual building blocks, but also then how they connect and interact with one another. And just as a, a way of review, let me just take a moment to come back and revisit where we've been. We started the conversation in looking at spiritual intensity. This is our spiritual vitality. It's the intimacy we have with God. It is the foundation of our life, and its primary expression is prayer. But it is also expressed in faithful risk. Faithful risk. Now, spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk, but, but faithful risk is stepping outside of our control, outside of our comfort, often beyond self-reliance, where we risk beyond recovery, but not beyond God's cover. And faithful risk leads to divine provision. We saw last week and talk through the idea of passionate mission, the building block of passionate mission. And, and passionate mission is pursuing divine purpose in divine power. It's pursuing God's purpose in God's power. Now, next week, we're going to lean into talking about hopeful partnership. But today, I want to settle in to talking about authentic love. Authentic love, because in some ways, it is kind of the fuel and the source that allows all the rest of it to happen. Now, I already read a description of what love is. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's, it's selfless. But when we apply love to the context of a building block, well, now we're talking about authentic love. Authentic is a word that means credible, reliable, dependable. And authentic love is, it's, it's raw. It's real. There's no pretense in it. It's not perfunctory. There's no artificiality. It's, it's raw and it's real. But it also often involves pain because it doesn't function in, in a completely guarded state. We're talking about authentic love. We're not just talking about love in its basic definition. In fact, for those of you that heard us talking about love when, you, when we first started the conversation, you started to feel uncomfortable, you think it's going to be gushy or risque, I want to put your minds at ease. It's going to be neither. We're talking about authentic love and, and how we live that out in life. See, some of you may realize that a good part of the Bible is written in Greek. And the Greeks use four words to describe what we use one word for. 
They have four words for love, and we use one word. And it can be confusing for us who just use one word to understand what's happening when, they're, when we're talking about love even today. So what I want to do is give you the basic definitions in four words of what the Greeks describe as love so that we understand authentic love more fully. The first one is eros, which is sexual passion. The second word they have for love is storge, which is family devotion. Beyond that is phileo love, which is really friendship or, or brotherly love. But then finally is agape love, and agape is loving kindness. It is a self-sacrificing, deep love. And each of these things reflect expressions of love, but the last one, agape, is the most appropriate descriptor, most appropriate word for this authentic love concept that we're talking about. Because authentic love seeks to give with no expectation or demand on repayment. Authentic love seeks the, the good of another, not just even acquiescing to their desires. And authentic love, agape love, most accurately reflects the kind of love that God has for us and the love he invites us to have for him and with others. And this agape, authentic love always seeks more for than from. If you're using note guide today, this becomes your first fill-in, that authentic love seeks more for than from. It seeks more for others than from others. It is not motivated by what it gets, but by what it can give. We see this a lot in, in mothers who are raising young children, where they pour out love and they sacrifice and they give. They give not to get, they give out of love, and they love to receive love back, but children who are younger may not know how to do that, not ready to do that, but they still give. Because they're not motivated about what they get. And, and authentic love is joyfully giving without needing to get. It, it seeks more for than from. Now let me just pause there for a moment because we're having this conversation about building blocks. And, and we need to understand them. We need to know what they are, but that's not enough. We need to actually understand how to properly use them. I mean, this is true in lots of things in life, that we can have an item, we can have a resource, but if we don't know how to properly use it, we can actually miss out on the, its full purpose and the benefit of it. Let me give you a, a really, really simple example. Here's a, a picture of a Tic Tac container. Did you know that it's designed to dispense one Tic Tac? That if you hold it the right way, you turn it the right way, it'll give you just one and you don't end up with a handful of Tic Tacs. Some of you are like, I don't care, they're low calorie, I eat them all. If we don't understand how to properly use something, we can miss out on the benefit. Here's a, a larger concept of this or expression of this. Here's a man who's standing on a pile of ladders trying to see over a wall. He's got plenty of ladders. He just doesn't know how to properly use any of them. And we're talking about building blocks, not just to know what they are, but to understand how to properly use them, how to properly connect them. See, we get risk and, and we get hope and maybe passion and maybe even get love, but the, the complexity is connecting them all together, knowing how to, how to use them as building blocks to allow us to live into the fullness of what God calls us to live into. Parents, grandparents, it's the idea of being able to invest in a quiet time, invest in a prayer life, invest in studying God's Word to the point where you're prepared and able to pursue your child or grandchild for their good, where you're able to risk with them and asking hard questions and seeking accountability and speaking the truth in love. And you know when you can collaborate with them and, and run alongside them and when you let them run in freedom or, or when you discipline in love. 
The complexity is not knowing what they are, it's knowing how to connect them together and how to build properly with the building blocks, and that's what we're talking about. And we've been doing it with the help of a man named Nehemiah, whose life was significantly marked by wanting more for than from. When we first meet him, he is, he is cupbearer to the king, so he would test the king's food for poison to make sure the king wouldn't be poisoned. That is living wanting more for than from. <laughs> he was a, a person who, whose heart broke for people he'd never met. He was someone who forfeited his comfort in the palace to go to a place at one point he had never been, to invest significantly in that place, a place that he would ultimately leave. It's one thing more for than from. He knew it wasn't about him. And, ne and Nehemiah was instrumental in leading a journey of restoration for the people of God as he, out of spiritual intensity, faithfully risked towards a passionate mission, but he did it in, in authentic love. And we've been looking at his journey to understand the building blocks, but also to understand how we can live out those building blocks. Last week we saw that at the end of chapter 2, he, he left his place in Persia, went to Jerusalem, cast out his passionate mission that God had given him, and the people rallied to build, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, been down for 150 years plus. In chapter 3 is, is just a description of who did what, where. And it's a little more interesting than a genealogy, but it's just as repetitious. So we're actually going to jump to chapter 4. You can check out chapter 3 on your own if you'd like to, but we're going to jump to chapter 4 and we're going to pick up the story where we see really a clear expression of authentic love demonstrated in what Nehemiah was doing and the people around him, even in the face of opposition. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn to, with me to Nehemiah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. You can follow along on the screen. I'm going to read from here. You can read in your own Bible or in the guide. But let's pick this up in Nehemiah chapter 4, starting with verse 1. When Sambalot heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. Now, remember, Sambalot is one of three leaders who did not like or share the passionate mission that Nehemiah brought to Jerusalem. They were opposed to it. They, they, they were irritated by it, and, and they're instigating trouble, and that is escalating even as we begin here in chapter 4. Because he's now honked. Sanibald is ticked. And so he ridiculed the Jews. Verse 2, And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Now, clearly, these are not questions of curiosity. These are questions of mockery. And there's really two reasons why he's doing this. One is the clear reality that God-honoring investments always face opposition. We saw that last week. Whenever we pursue the things of God, there will always be an element of opposition because of the spiritual battle around it. One reason is that opposition comes in God-honoring investments. The second reason is that Sambalot, Sambalot he wanted more from than for with the Jews. He wanted more from the Jews than for the Jews. He didn't love them. He, it was about what he could get from them, not what he could give. On top of that, his little sidekick Tobias standing there too, the Ammonite, who's literally by his side, he says, what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. You ever noticed how when somebody ridicules another person that there's often somebody around them who joins in that ridicule? 
I often think it's because they don't want to end up being ridiculed themselves, so they jump on board with attacking the one who's getting hammered. Now, I don't know if that was in Tobiah's full motivation. I do know he did not want Nehemiah doing what he was doing. He was opposed to it. But even though he says those things, Nehemiah responds in consistent fashion to both challenge and opposition with prayer. Because he recognized that prayer is essential to achieving anything great. Take a look in verse 4. Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. My friends, prayer is a game changer, regardless of your circumstances. Prayer is a game changer in anything you pursue in the name of Christ, especially in the face of opposition. Nehemiah repeatedly engaged prayer as an expression of spiritual intensity which allowed him to live into the other building blocks. And this is no exception. But once prayed, once having spent that time in prayer, what they do next is key. Because they return to the work. They, 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 don't, they don't return ridicule with ridicule. They don't return insult with insult. They pray and then return to the work. Verse six, so we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height for the people worked with all their what? Heart. Man, they were all in. This was not a half-hearted investment. They were all in to faithfully risk out of the spiritual intensity that had developed in their relationship with God and they were all in. Now, one of the things when I see biblical conduct or biblical response, often that, that stuff is surprising because it's rooted in love and love responds differently than many other things in this world. It responds differently. Authentic love in particular. Now, Nehemiah will continue to have to deal with these guys. Uh, they get more devious along the way, but he will also have to deal with the complaints of a people he was trying to lovingly lead. And that could have put him at a point where he could have been tempted to just quit. He could say, you know what? Forget it. I don't deserve this. I don't need this. I'm out of here. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he prays that God would intervene. Out of authentic love for God and for the people he was working alongside, he prays that God would intervene. And out of authentic love, Nehemiah remains. See, I read earlier in the description of what love is that love always perseveres. That is true. But there's another dynamic to it, and that is that love remains. Authentic love remains and perseveres. It remains and perseveres. That's a bit of hard truth, but it's also helpful truth. Because in life, we come up against hard things. We face opposition. Authentic love positions us to persevere. But we have to choose to remain. Choosing to remain. Now, I'm not talking about remaining irresponsibly because there are circumstances in life where we do need to just simply walk away. Maybe it's an issue of abuse. There's danger involved. There's immorality. Those are reasons to just walk away and not remain. There are even circumstances where God calls us into something new. But beyond those things, authentic love remains and perseveres. Even Jesus lived this way. He faced significant opposition, more opposition than Nehemiah will end up facing. He, Jesus faced false accusation and mockery as well. He also faced stoning. He faced crucifixion. He faced a lot more opposition than what Nehemiah will end up doing, but yet he remained and persevered 
And at the core, the reason behind why he did that is rooted in what could really be a really a life goal for us, something we could would strive to. And it's captured in John chapter 17. It's the words of Jesus. He's talking to God. He says, I have brought you, God, glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. That is a recalibrating passage of scripture that can position us in authentic love to remain and persevere. The, the, the willingness to remain and persevere, to complete the work God gives us, man, that's the reason. Authentic love remains and perseveres. So let's go back to the story of Nehemiah and see what actually happens next. So we're picking this back up in verse 7. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So opposition is escalating. The group is growing. There is an unhappy and opposed group that's, that's bringing to bear opposition to what's going on. But what happens next is key. Verse 9, but we prayed. But we prayed. We prayed to, to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Listen, prayer remains central. As prayer goes in our lives, so does the work of God. In all my years of ministry, I've seen the people of God engage in prayer and ebb and flow in that investment for different reasons at different times. But at the core, the ability to keep prayer central is rooted in the issue of love. See, we talk to and with those we love. We talk at those we want to change, those we want to get from. But we talk to and with those we love and those we seek to give toward. And prayer is the means by which we do that with God. Without prayer, man, we become weak and weary in the battle. But prayer fills us. It's a, it's a place that, that spiritual intensity is revived so that we can live into the rest of the blocks. Prayer is key and essential. And without it, we grow weary. Take a look at what happens here in verse 10. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is much rubble and we cannot rebuild the wall. Fatigue is setting in. Their spirits are weary, souls are weary, especially as these knuckleheads keep bringing uh, meddling stuff against the work that's happening. Verse 11, also our enemy said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and we'll kill them and put an end to the work. I mean, this is bad stuff. This is not good. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times over. <laughs> Ten, ten times over, people. Listen, after three, it's annoying. After five, you're just done. Ten's a lot. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. I mean, just the, just the pressure and the complexity. There's this relentless ripple of issue and challenge, and, and they may have been tempted to quit, except for authentic love and faithfulness to pray allowed them to remain and persevere. Take a look. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. 
great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. That is an expression of authentic love, wanting more for than from. And then verse 15, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. Who frustrated it? God. Listen, friends, God frustrates the plans of those who oppose his purpose, always. God frustrated it. We all return to the wall, each to our own work. Authentic love remains and perseveres. You know, one of the tensions for me every time I read this narrative is the opposition. It was relentless. It was escalating, persistent. And it seems out of place. It seems wrong for the dynamic. Because these were people who were faithfully risking. People who were stepping in obedience. People who were willing to step from spiritual intensity into faithful risk for passionate mission. And yet they're encountering this complexity. It seems out of place. But yet as we talked last week, opposition is present in any and every God-honoring spirit-led investment. It's a spiritual battle that is very real. It plays out in the physical world, but it is rooted in the spiritual world. And it's ongoing all the time. And it's exhausting. Unless we are filled by authentic love. Unless we are willing to sit in a place where we have a love that is reliable and dependable. That comes from him, from the Lord, not us. See, because of that battle... This is why authentic love is the key to allowing us and empowering us to remain and persevere. Because in our own strength, we can't do it. When we, when we lament against the trouble that we experience in life, though, listen, we can lament against that stuff, but it often affirms and, and, and even reminds us of what God calls us to. Yet if we don't understand the spiritual battle that we face... If we think of love only as what allows us to persevere, but not understand it as something that allows us to remain, we can leave spaces and places prematurely. If we only view authentic love as a means of persevering through the hardship and not something that allows us to remain in the hardship, well then we'll leave, we'll quit, we'll walk away. But authentic love positions us to remain faithful to the specific God-honoring tasks that he brings in front of us, even if there is hardship. That can be in our marriages. It could be in fighting for our relationship. It could be in seeking the well-being and maturity of our kids or grandkids. It really could be any God-given task that authentic love allows us to remain and persevere. You know, if we follow Jesus, but we're not experiencing trouble, we may need to consider why. Jesus said his followers would have trouble, would experience trouble. We see it all the time. We see it in the drama of relationships. We see it in opposition. We see it in crisis moments. It's not that we go looking for it, but we need to be able to recognize it. Because if we don't recognize it for what it is, we can be tempted to quit and give up. 
But authentic love of God allows us to remain and persevere. Even in those places we want to lament. Because in those spaces of lament, those challenging and troubling times, we can actually find confirmation and reminders and affirmation that we are walking in some level of proximity to the purpose and will of God. And he wants us to remain and not run. He wants us to persevere and not quit. Not out of stubborn defiance, but out of authentic love. Out of a commitment to do what God asked us to do, to complete the work he asked us to complete. Loving him and loving others. Even those who wrong us, even those who hurt us, or stand opposed to us. That's not always easy, but we do it as we rely on the love of God. The disciple John captured this for us. He said in 1 John 4, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. We rely on the love of God to be able to remain and persevere. Just like every other building block, authentic love rests not in our power, but his. Our ability to live it, build from it, rightly and properly use it, is in him. His purpose, his strength, his power, not ours. To remain and persevere in opposition, to not give up in the rubble, to continue to fight for what is right in our family or in our marriage requires relying on his love. It requires us to, to care more about his reputation than ours, to care more about his purpose than ours, even in the rubble. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. Nehemiah allowed authentic love for God and authentic love for people to build a future reality out of present rubble because he understood that authentic love embraces what is for what can be. Authentic love embraces what is for what can be. It engages present circumstance for future reality. It invests for something beyond. It not, it's driven not, not just by what is, but by what can be, even in the face of opposition. It embraces what is, not to sit in it, but to rebuild from it. Authentic love embraces what is for what can be. It, it responds, but yet it remains. You know, my wife Beth and I have been married for more than 25 years. Here's a, here's a picture from that day. That is me. <laughs> Clearly that's her. Clearly recognizable. I mean, if you just picture the hair dropping from top to chin. Okay, now it starts to make a little more sense. <laughs> We've been married for more than 25 years. And like many of you, in the journey of life and marriage, you have ups and downs. And we have experienced rubble in the journey of our lives. But every time we have chosen to remain, remain physically present, emotionally present, spiritually present, God has beautifully rebuilt from that rubble. Yet any time I have leaned back emotionally, physically, nothing ever gets rebuilt. Authentic love embraces what is no matter how broken it is because it's essential for experiencing what can be 
present rubble for future reality. Authentic love embraces what is for what can be. And we all start somewhere. The key is making sure we don't just stay there. See, God demonstrates this to us. He lives this out. He models it. He loves us. He loves you and he loves me. He loves us so much. He sent Jesus to embrace what was, to embrace what is, the sin of our life, the failures, the mistakes, the rubble and pain of our life. He, he sent Jesus to embrace what is for what can be, forgiveness, rescue, hope. You know, there is a lot of good stuff in the book of Nehemiah and the life of Nehemiah. And we're barely scratching the surface in this building block series. Maybe at some point we'll go back and revisit some of the other details in it. But this is ultimately not about Nehemiah. This is about the heart of God and the life of Jesus. Because there is no greater expression of authentic love than Christ himself. He himself is love. In fact, Jesus perfectly manifests all five building blocks in everything he did. He loves you. He loves you authentically. He, he came for you. He died for you. He created you. If you were the only person who was separated from him by sin and rubble of life, he still would have come for you, still pursued you. Because he is the one who models all five building blocks and he authentically loves. So what do we do with what we're talking about today? Well, we're ultimately talking about following his example. We're talking about walking in the way of love. Paul wrote about this, and this scripture's not in your note, God, it's just up here. He says, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want you to see something in here. There is identity and purpose. Loved children walking in the way of love. It is being leading to doing. It is who we are and what we're supposed to do. We're to walk in the way of love, following his example in our relationship with him and our relationship with others. When we authentically love, well, man, then, then we give second chances. We extend forgiveness. We offer grace. We, we put our best effort into what we're doing when we follow his example and walk in the way of love. And we do that because he first loved us. And whenever we do, the, the transforming power of his love is at work in our lives and we are no longer the same. The building blocks are critical to following God's example and walking in the way of love. And I want you to understand this, this stuff all starts to connect and very specifically because when we think about spiritual intensity, it can actually be expressed as the how. It's how we live into the other four. It's how we actually step in obedience in any of it. The, the, the faithful risk reality is, is the what. It's, it's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to step in obedience and faithfully risk in his name and in his power. Well, then the passionate mission really becomes where we do that. It's the passion for the people and the place. It, that's, that's the where. The hopeful partnership, well, that's who we're supposed to do it with. But authentic love is why. Authentic love is why. We can have passion and faith and hope, but there's love. And faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of them is love. 
And as followers of Christ, we are the activators of authentic love in a world that doesn't understand it. In a world that thinks ladders are used in piles. And they may mock it. But as we live faithfully into it and demonstrate it, things begin to change. The dynamic changes. Whether we're investing in big or small things, whether engaging publicly or privately, whether you're a parent pursuing your child, whether you're in your workplace and you're just, you're just trying to speak the truth in that dynamic, or whether you're engaging alongside a neighbor who's got rubble in their life and you're trying to bring them along, authentic love undergirds resources and fuels all of it. And it's for the present. Each of the building blocks are, are for the present realities in our lives. But when it comes to authentic love, authentic love is always for here and now. It's always here and now. It's the most, the most appropriate application and expression and use of authentic love is here and now. It's in your present context. It's in your present moment, the present challenge or present opportunity. It starts where we are, in your current dynamic with the people you are with in the conversation you're in. It starts where we are. And in light of that, I, wanna, I wonder where God is wanting you to be faithful in remaining and persevering. In fact, the question I want to give to you today that you can process the rest of the day and through this week is where is God inviting you to continue investing for what can be despite what is? Where is God inviting you to continue investing for what can be despite what is? Where is he wanting love to remain? To remain faithful? To remain consistent as you parent and discipline your, your children? Uh, and remain faithful in being gracious or forgiving? You are a beloved child of God and you will face opposition. But as a son and daughter of the king, you need to understand that he says, I got you. And I will frustrate those plans if you remain. If you remain in me and you remain faithful to the task. See, we may not be called to rebuild a wall around a city. But God may be asking you to rebuild your marriage. or to pursue a child or grandchild that has stepped away from God. He may be asking you to stay faithful and doing good at work or, or to not let fear or ridicule lead you to quit even though you're being mocked at school. Where is God inviting you to continue investing for what can be despite what is? Authentic love allows us to remain and persevere it persists, it, it sticks it out, not in stubbornness, but persistence for greater purpose. And Jesus modeled this. Nehemiah lived it, and so can we. So can we. Even if everyone around us thinks that the proper use of a ladder is to be in piles, we can step boldly in obedience and use it for its intended purpose even when mocked. Where is God asking and inviting you to continue to invest for what can be despite what is? The greater sense that we have of, of love and the responsibility attached to it, the more willing we are to risk in the rest of it. And my friends, 
God does not call us to live a comfortable life. He calls us to live a powerful life in the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And these building blocks position us to experience that when we connect them together as intended. When we live them consistently. You know, Jesus consistently demonstrated and manifested all of these all the time. In fact, I want you to think with me for a moment. One particular scripture that captures an expression of his life. It's John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You know that verse? Many of us do. Check this out. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He, he risked that whoever believes in him would not perish because he came to seek and save the lost, but have eternal life. This is a cross on purpose because Jesus lived this out for you and for me. And we're gonna take a moment today as a church family all across our network to celebrate that and honor that in communion. Communion is something that Jesus laid before his disciples as a way of remembering. It's something we're called to do. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he, he took bread and cup. He took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. He took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. He said, take these things in remembrance of me. Communion is an opportunity for us to acknowledge what Jesus did for us. In, out of authentic love and spiritual intensity and faithful risk, passionate mission and hopeful partnership. To just say thank you. To say I love you. And in a few moments all across our network, ushers are gonna come and they're gonna pass trays in front of you. And if you are a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him. He is Lord of your life. I invite you to take and reach in and grab the double stack cups. There's two, one with bread, one, with, one for the representation of the blood. Make sure you get both of them. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not giving your life to him yet, it's okay. You can let the elements pass. But if you're ready to step into relationship, you can pray the prayer on the back of your note guide. You can receive new life in Jesus. You can be reconciled to God and be able to live out all the building blocks at a whole nother level. And then turn around and take part in this right now, right where you're at, after praying that prayer. This is for those who have given their life to Jesus as Lord, to say thank you, to acknowledge that he did that stuff for us. If you need gluten-free, there's that expression in the back of your campus reality, you can get it there. But in a moment, I'm gonna pray. And when you get the elements, I wanna invite you to take them when you want to. Take them on your own. You may take them right away, or you may take a few moments to just talk with Jesus about where you're at in the journey, where you need to remain and persevere. Where, where you need to stop seeking just to get, but to switch that around and express authentic love in a dynamic. Take the time to talk with him, but take the elements on your own. As we continue to worship in song, you'll be able to reflect and pray. As we sing about, really, about the love of God, the reckless love of God, demonstrated, manifested perfectly by Jesus. So I wanna invite you to join me as I pray as the ushers come to serve us, but let's, uh, let's take a moment to recognize that love that changes everything for us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you did love us enough to send your son Jesus 
to die on a cross to pay a sin debt we couldn't pay. And this act of communion is, is an opportunity of us to remember that, to honor that, but also to say thank you, to, to affirm our love for you, our commitment to you. God, I pray that you would help us to sit in a place today where we not only know your authentic love for us, but that we would express that back to you and we'd be willing to express it to others. God, that we would be willing to remain and persevere in the places you call us to. That we would be willing to seek more for than from. That we would be willing to actually step in, in faithful risk and passionate mission out of authentic love, staying faithful to pray, staying faithful to keep our eyes fixed on you so that your purposes can be accomplished. Relying on your love, God. So as we take a few moments in worship and take the elements, as we talk with you, may you speak, Lord, about where you're asking your people, my brothers and sisters, where you're asking us to continue to invest for what can be despite what is for your glory, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.